This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. A pretty good weekend then for Liverpool's hopes of the quadruple. One more trophy in the cabinet and the title race is still alive. At Wembley, it had everything but goals. We know they're overrated. Two fine goalkeeping performances, some missed chances, a sad Mason Mount and a very happy Greek. Prompting quite the celebrations from the Liverpool fans. Has the cup regained its magic? Are they on the cusp of history? And is Jurgen Klopp hugging every penalty taker before the shootout the marginal gain they needed? Or just a nice thing? And what of Chelsea? Three FA Cup final defeats in three years. Lads, it's Chelsea. Can you be Chelsea E, or is that impossible because it just doesn't scan? Also, Jared Bowen halts Manchester City's title charge temporarily. Elsewhere, not even a Spurs fan thinks they deserve that penalty, even if you read every letter of every law. Surely there's some way of changing it. At the bottom, as well as Burnley's loss, Everton have two players sent off in defeat, including the best player in the world. Leeds get a very late point, which means it's all to play for. Also, Chelsea's women win the double. The championship playoffs are nicely poised. Mark Noble gets emotional. You've asked some questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning. Hello. Hi Max. Hello Jonathan Wilson. Morning. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. And Greg Bukowski, welcome. Hey Max. It's been a long time, Greg, and we'll start uh, with uh, the uh, FA Cup final, Liverpool winning 6-5 on penalties. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has become the only the second manager to win the European Cup, Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup and the English top flight, all with the same English club, along with Sir Alex Ferguson. Tony says, did Greg get to celebrate this one in style or was it the park bench again? Up the bleeping reds, he says. Um, I'd love to have said that I celebrated it in style, but um, my wife went to Germany for four days, so I was with the kids <laughs> all weekend, but I did manage to get my dad down and we watched it. And now my kids are like getting to the age where they're into it as well, so there's another element now. So I, in my head, as the penalties were being played out, I was wondering how am I going to deal with the crushing disappointment that my kids are going to feel here after Mane missed and I was just certain that Liverpool weren't going to do it this time but they did and the celebrations were nice but in a you know a kind of not wanting to scare the kids way there were no you know light flares I, 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 you know I saved them for the garden Max you've got to be careful <laughs> indoors with those things I think uh, Greg's usual sort of celebrations are in a pub in North London with John Power from the Laz so yeah this seems comparatively sedate 
Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, no, that the, the whole pub celebration thing is we, we've we've had to move pubs because of COVID. So um, the pub we used to go to still isn't showing football, but they'll be they'll be back. Um, you know, as Chelsea might be as well. Um, the celebrations, Greg, were like wild on the pitch. Like, like it obviously winning a trophy matters, and when you're there, it's great. But it did feel sort of wilder and and more than the most FA Cup finals that I can remember, unless I'm totally just, unless that's complete recency bias for me. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it's, it's from, from speaking to people who went as well, um, friends and all who went, it's, it's been, it was wild in the stands as well, and it was for the Carabao Cup final. I think penalties adds to that, but I do think what Liverpool are doing and keeping this quadruple tilt going has added to uh, just this, this sense of celebration around the team and there's a lot of kind of everybody reminding each other as well just how great this current Liverpool team is because there's so many younger generation fans who uh, they don't know how lucky they are to be watching this team um, you know I, I spent a lot of my time watching Gerard Houllier's Liverpool and Roy Evans's Liverpool you know when I first started going to the match and to be watching the team play the football they're playing, the, the mentality they have with the manager with his charisma and his tactical nous and the you know, way he taps into expertise, it's just a, it's just a wonderful thing. And you know, it's it's amazing now that we're only you know a week away from the end of the Premier League season, and this you know the the, the quadruple is still a possibility. Not, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it, it the fact that it you know it could still happen is. It's, it's just amazing. I think that's why the celebrations are so uh, uh, kind of so raucous, and amongst the team and the group as well, because I think that they're all aware of what they're doing and how how fantastic it is. Does your dad still say uh, Van Dyke's good, but he's not as good as Hanson? Um, he, he doesn't. Although you still get you still get Liverpool fans who'll you'll, you'll wax lyrical about Saint Etienne being the greatest ever atmosphere and that kind of thing. Who's to know? But I remember Hanson though, and Hanson was he was a he was a, a lovely footballer. But you can't compare the years, can you? No. Um, what, what did you make of uh, the, the game, Wilson? I, th- I think what's odd is that Chelsea have played Liverpool four times a season, and every game's been a draw, and Liverpool won two on penalties. And actually, I think Liverpool are streets ahead of Chelsea at the minute. I don't think that was true at the start of the season. I think that one-one draw at Anfield, you know, they, they they really were roughly on a level. But the way Chelsea's season has sort of unravelled, I, I think, is 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 extraordinary. And you know, the lack of attacking options they've, they've somehow got Chelsea. I guess it's related to the all the uncertainty and the sanctions and the new owner coming in and everything. But there's, there's definitely quite a lot of work to be done there. And Chelsea did have that sort of you know, the, the quarter of an hour spell beginning of the second half where they had those three really good chances in the first five minutes of the second half, didn't they? And it hit, you know, hit, the, hit the bar and they, they, they could have nicked it. it. So it felt the game that fell on margins, the fact that even in the penalty shootout, there was um, the Aspilicueta hit the outside of the post and went wide. The, the, Thiago, the next penalty was Thiago's penalty, hit the inside of the post and went in. And, and so, you know, if those two penalties are each three inches the other way, the Chelsea win it. But it, it really didn't feel that close. It felt like Liverpool were, were significantly better. Did you get that sense, Barry? Because Chelsea did. I mean, I felt like Marcus Alonso could have had about eight himself. Like, Chelsea did create in this game. I find it strange, Johnson, saying that, actually, because I, I thought there was very little in it. thought it could have gone either way. Um, neither team could have felt particularly aggrieved if they'd lost. And Chelsea had plenty of chances to win it. I suppose the big gamble and the talking point before the game was whether Lukaku would start or not. I had a feeling he would because of his recent form, and he did, and that turned out to be 
a poor decision by Thomas Tuchel. Well, he didn't have anybody else, did he? I mean, Bernard is hamstring in the warm-up. Yeah, you know, he ends up playing Loftus Cheek up front for fourteen minutes in in extra time. They, they, they just had no no options there. A Pulisic, I, I don't think is is quite that level. Uh, you know, just pursuing our anti-US bias. <laughs> That's uh, a dangerous thing to say. Yeah, uh, you know, isn't isn't quite at that level. And you know, they're 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 sort of support forwards rather than out and out forwards anyway. So, I mean, I take, I take, I take your point that Lukaku's been playing relatively well recently, but. I, I just don't think he had a choice but to play him because I just don't think they had anybody else there. You say Pulisic and Ziyech aren't at that level, but at the level Lukaku has been at this season, I think they are at, at his level and, and possibly better. And his record against Liverpool is very bad. Uh, I think that was his 20th or 21st game against Liverpool. Now, I appreciate many of these games he's played against. He was playing for West Brom, but he's only finished on the winning side, I think, four or five times. He's only scored a handful of goals. And yeah, okay. He didn't have a good game and more could have been expected from him, I think. But yeah, I thought it was a very even game that could have gone either way. Yeah, I thought, well, I thought the, the three game, not the first game at Anfield, but the, the other games we played Chelsea and it's kind of been 10 minute spells where he, where, where our team had control. And, you know, Tuchel obviously knows. Clock well and his football well and he's got the Dortmund links and some of that maybe adds to his knowledge of how um, Klopp's teams play but I, I feel like it would kind of go in waves Liverpool's way and then Chelsea's way I thought the Carabao Cup was maybe slight, felt slightly closer than, than this one to me um, I was just I don't know how fit um, N'Golo Kante was but I, I would have been more worried had he come on earlier because the how tired some of Liverpool's players are now at this stage in, in the season and the energy he has, I just wonder if he might have sparked something. Not that he's you know a creative player, but I just think with his energy, I think he could have got around Liverpool's midfield more. But having said that, I thought Jordan Henderson was absolutely immense for Liverpool. It, 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 you know, he's obviously getting on in his years now. He seems to be brought off. Um, ever more earlier than games because of his, his, his you know his fitness record and trying to keep him um, fit. But no, I thought he was really good in the absence of um, Fabinho, um, and yeah, totally deserved to lift that trophy again. He, he's, I think it's only what Graham Souness and Emlyn Hughes of Question of Sport and Emlyn Hughes International Soccer on the Amstrad fame that have lifted more trophies for Liverpool than Jordan Henderson. I mean, it's quite hard when you're witnessing sort of history happening in front of you, Wilson, to, to acknowledge it, I guess. But, you know, he has to be up there as like as an absolute Liverpool great, Jordan Henderson. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess defining who a club's greats are is for the club and their fans. But as an outsider, he, he seemed, and, and obviously a slightly biased outsider, I'll accept. He, he, you know, he I think he's been extraordinary. His career is amazing. That, that, yeah, that, that piece I did at the Newcastle game, the Newcastle-Liverpool game, Comparing him and John Joe Shelby, the two captains, and the fact that you know they they both scored in Kane Dalglish's last home game as manager for Liverpool. At that time, it felt like Shelby was a player with with a brighter future ahead of him. You're slightly what, three years younger, two years younger, and yet Henderson, he's sort of done the impossible of of replacing Gerrard. You know, he's he's coming to that midfield. He's he's become the captain, and you see he's this leader and he does have this authority and. He is a, an oddly sort of calming presence. He, he's a better player than people give him credit for. I, I think that, that, that point that, that Alex Ferguson made about the fact he runs a bit funny, maybe counts against him. He doesn't look like a natural footballer. I think one of the odd things about his career is that 
I still think the thing he's best at is crossing, but he never gets to do that because he plays in the middle because he's so good at other stuff as well. That position on the right of three in midfield is, is what really suits him because then he can occasionally get wide and put those crosses. I think he links very well with Alexander-Arnold. But he is capable of covering for Fabinho. And he did do that. Yeah, we'd had all those doubts about that. And then Fabinho came in and so thought, oh yeah, Liverpool have sorted out the midfield now. And then the season Liverpool won the title, so the season before last, Fabinho had that spell out uh, a couple of months just before Christmas when Henderson dropped back there. And his form then was brilliant as well. So, yeah, I think Liverpool are better when it's Fabinho at the back of midfield and, and Henderson to the right. But Henderson is good at it as well. Uh, Stephen says, please give another shout out to Simicas, Max. I know you have done so before, but I cannot understate his achievements since he left Olympiacos, going from injuries, COVID, supporters saying he was a flop, to scoring the winning penalty in the FA Cup. Uh, he truly is a talent. The first Greek to win the FA Cup. Previously, Nikos Dambizas lost in 98 and 99 with Newcastle and Jose Cholivas lost with Watford in 2019. It was a lovely moment, Barry. And I mean, he really loved, he loved that moment as well, didn't he? Well, who wouldn't? I mean, well, it used to be every schoolboy's dream to score the winning goal in an FA Cup final. Not as important now, I suppose, which I think is a bit sad. But yeah, when he came in, I, I just presumed he was very much going to be a squad player, fringe player who would only ever play if Andy Robertson was injured or if, you know, it was League Cup matches or whatever, get the occasional run out. But I think he this season he's staked a claim for that left-back position and not to denigrate Robertson in any way because I think he's terrific, but I, I think it's almost a coin toss now between which of them gets picked for that spot. I think they are as good as each other. What do you think every school kid's dream is now? Is it to get a 10-second TikTok dance to go viral? <laughs> do you think that, 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 that's what it is? Um, can we talk about the psychology of penalty shootouts? Um, there was a very long thread by someone called Gia Jordet, who I think, I hope I pronounced that correctly, I think we've talked about before, a football psychology researcher, consultant, speaker, a professor at the Norwegian School of Sports Scientists, School of Sports Sciences, Basically, he's spent like on a nine-tweet thread about that sort of five minutes between the end of extra time and the start of the penalty shootout in terms of what Klopp does and what Tuchel does and how Klopp hugs every player and tells them or finds out where they're going to put the ball in private compared to Tuchel, who's kind of working it out and doing it all publicly and discussing that all these kind of marginal gains lead to... Liverpool winning the penalty shootout. And I don't, I can't work out, Wilson, if this is utterly brilliant analysis or just he's written two threads, depending on who's won, and then <laughs> sends the one out that wins. I mean, I guess marginal gains matter, right? Yeah, and I think it's something that Klopp uh, is very good at. And, you know, he, he spoke afterwards about this German uh, neuroscience company, uh, Neuer Elf, who, who he's been working with for a year or so. And, you know, Klopp, you know, himself certainly thinks this has been significant. And you think that Liverpool have had, uh, what, 18 penalties and shootouts this season and they've scored 17 of them. And the one that was missed was the one where Klopp told Mane to do the opposite of what he was going to do because it was against Mendy and he thought, well, Mendy knows him so well from Senegal that, that you know, you, you, you can't do what you always do. So I think it's very easy with Klopp to think it's because of his big personality and he's so charismatic and... and uh, you know, he's so bullish that that sort of drives him along. And clearly that is part of it. 
But he's also very good at bringing in these specialists. So in fact, they have throw-in specialists. I think their data analysis, although that's a slightly sort of murky world that nobody likes to talk about because you know, that's where clubs do get a competitive advantage. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that Liverpool haven't really made a duff signing since Christian Benteke, which was, what, seven years ago now. Say he's employing 10 specialists and only three of them actually make a difference. Well, that's still quite significant. And even the culture, the, the, the sense that you have all these specialists must provide this sort of sense of, of mental well-being and a sense of, you know, this is really sort of cutting edge, top of the range stuff. This is the environment. I'm not going to find a better environment to get the best out of me. So, yeah, I, I think I think Klopp's willingness to pursue that is is fascinating. And I presume when, when his career is over, he'll, he'll, he'll feel more willing to talk about that rather than giving away trade secrets. But the, the little bits you do here, I, I think that, that, that level of detail um, it is part of the reason that Liverpool have been so successful. Do you think Klopp's personality and the fact that he's, he is such a charismatic character and comfortable within his own skin means he's more likely to, to call on those specialists and bring them in? Because if you weren't comfortable as a manager in your position, you might feel like you were a bit undermined if you had so many people feeding you with information. Yeah, possibly. And, and also, yeah, he must know. I mean, I, I don't think he cares for a second, which is, again, part of his personality. He must know that sort of the older school football man will be sneering, going, throwing coach, just chuck it. You don't, you know, you don't need to coach that. You, you don't think Jurgen Klopp is awake at night wondering what Keys and Gray think of <laughs> what he's achieving? Like, I'm not going to knock them because there's a possibility I might get work off at some stage in the future. <laughs> but um, yes. Chelsea have won the European Super Cup. They won the World Club cup they've got to two finals they'll probably finish third in the league Barry have they had a bad season it feels like it but when you lay it out like that you'd have to say no but I suppose we're so used to them winning trophies that for them to come out of the season empty-handed with their future shrouded in quite a bit of uncertainty yeah you, you, you would be You'd have to say, by their own very high standards, it is a poor season. And and six finals in a row at Wembley, Mason Mount has lost, which I think includes England <sighs> and Derby County. That's brutal, isn't it? And Scott, <laughs> <laughs> you, you just want a trophy to go in off your backside when you get to that stage. <laughs> Adam says, does abide with me risk being lost in a sea of cocaine? Um, I mean, I, I don't know how much... There's always stories about lots of people taking cocaine at football. Now, I don't know if it's very, it's impossible to know how many who booed it were under the influence. Well, what I would say about that is that um, Grant Council have introduced some bylaws so you can't drink uh, in the immediate environs of the stadium. Now, I don't think the bylaw stipulates cocaine, but I certainly, <laughs> right. did, I certainly didn't see anywhere near as much, I didn't see any cocaine being taken on uh, Saturday, whereas the year 2000 final. I saw quite a lot being taken just on Wembley Way. But yeah, the thing with the Biden, I mean, I, you know, I really like a Biden me. It feels deeply poignant. And, you know, I really hope it's not lost. Cause I think it is one of those cup final traditions. And it occurred to me when the booing happened, I don't really know why you would boo at him. I, I get the booing of National Anthem if you want to do that. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but if you want to do it, fine. That's, I don't really have a problem with it. But I think I think it's sad if... if yeah, Because I remember going to the cup final in 92. And obviously being a Solomon fan is different because... You, know, you you know that you might never get there again. And every one of those Wembley traditions, you really want to sort of drink in. So you know, got to Wembley Way really early just to you know, experience Wembley Way and you, you're, you're really looking forward to abide with me. And I think if I'd been an opposing fan, I'd have felt pretty, or, or even you know, one of those Liverpool fans, 
I'd have felt pretty pretty upset that one of these great traditions I've been looking forward to was was ruined. I don't know if that's because these are fans who go there every year and so it doesn't have the same specialness to them. I, mean, I know Liverpool have been in the FA Cup final for, for a while, but they are used to finals. Whereas maybe fans of smaller clubs do appreciate those moments more. But you know, I, re- I really hope that it, it can be be resurrected. But I mean, one of, one of the problems as well is that you know, if you look back to the 70s and it was, it was community singing was how they described it. And so they'd have somebody to lead the fans in singing. Whereas now it's you know, some professional singer warbling over the top and you can't really join in. I think the eagerness to boo the national anthem was perhaps partly to do with it and the fact that a bird with me seemed to be... Well, there was a lot of military there and there was a lot of kind of pageantry, that kind of thing, around the the final. And I think there's a, a few Liverpool fans who <laughs> thought the national anthem was kicking off at that time and started booing. I'm not making ex- you know excuses for them. Um, I'm not saying that was the exact reasons, but some people I know who were there said they were booing because they just assumed the national anthem was on and everybody joined in and it was really, really noisy then. But um, I, I take your point. I think I think the I think Abide with me is a very nice hymn. It's it's been sung at Hillsborough Memorial Services and and I've been at those and I think it's a very it's got a nice meaning behind it. Um, and yeah, I personally think it's it was more to do with the national anthem and the build up to that and and all that surrounded it as well. Um, Wilson, you uh, finally tweeted out a, a thread about FA Cup finals without goals. Um, which I quite, found quite interesting, and it's in your wheelhouse. So if you'd like to give us a history lesson, then I'm all ears. So this was the fifth goal of straw in the FA Cup final. The first three were without extra time, and they were pre-Wembley. Um, there was then the 2005 final in Cardiff. Um, this was the first Wembley final that went the full 120 minutes. Uh, the previous, the previous longest we'd gone in the Wembley final without a goal was 119 minutes in 1938, when Preston, with Bill Shankly at right half, beat Huddersfield 1-0. And the the BBC commentator uh, Thomas Woodruff, who's one of Scott Murray's favourite characters, one of the great early broadcasters, uh, a man who who I, I think it's fair to say enjoyed a drink. Is he the one who it was? It was the, the um, commentary over the ship. Exactly. Lit up. Exactly. Yeah, lit up. That's it. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, that's, yeah. That's and it. that was on. That was on. There's a sample of that on the public service broadcasting song, which people should listen to. It's brilliant. He's 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 absolutely Sparko, isn't he? And he's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's some kind of review of ships, like the the the, the, the kings reviewing yeah. these this naval thing and. And he's absolutely hammered. <laughs> just <by Yeah>. the, <laughs> he's sort of very confused by the fact the lights are going on and off on the ship. Oh, oh lit up. Lit up. Yeah, the, the oh, fairy lights. Fairy the fairy lights. This, yeah. is, this is fairyland. Fairyland. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. The, people, yeah, the, the easiest way to listen to that is to listen to the public service broadcasting song called Lit Up. So people you know, go to whatever your music services of choice. But anyway, he, in the 1938 final, uh, with 118 minutes gone, he said... If there's, a, if there's a goal now, I'll eat my hat. And then immediately a penalty was awarded. And to be fair to him, he got a baker to bake him a cake in the shape of a hat and <laughs> ate it in what would have been a Twitter sensation if only it hadn't been 90 years too early, 80 years too early. <laughs> That's lovely. Um, let's go to the Women's FA Cup final the following day. Chelsea beat Man City 3-2, the double then for Emma Hayes. Really nice line from Johnny Lou in his report about how Chelsea win. The freakish lob, the 25-yard screamer, the lucky ricochet. 
Hayes celebrates them all just the same, like the owner of a provincial construction firm who's just received a frankly astonishing county court judgment in her favour. It was a, it was a great game, Barry, wasn't it? Yeah, it it, it really was. Uh, it was a great game and it was a great occasion. Uh, there was fifty thousand at the game. Uh, I was just a friend of mine. I, his kids were there. They had a wonderful time. Chelsea, they had to work hard last week to win the league and they had to work hard to win this game. Um, City made a real game of it. Were arguably unlucky to lose. There was a couple of worldly goals in it. Aaron Kurtzberts in particular was a screamer into the top corner. And Chelsea were probably deserving winners in the end. But uh, just, just a really, really good game of football. Uh, yeah, Emma Hayes said, I think we were underestimated by the opponents. I will have bottles of champagne, she said. I will make sure somebody carries me home. Emma Hayes just seems like she'd be really, really good fun to go on a night out with. She's just terrific. And I, when you watch Chelsea home games, you can she's so vocal. You can hear her over the crowd. And she's micromanages Pep style from the, the sideline. Or maybe Pep man, micromanages Emma Hayes style. I don't know who's the influence, but... And she swears like a navvy, you know, which is just really, really entertaining to listen to. But yeah, she just seems like a lovely woman and who would be terrific company on a night out. Uh, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll do the Premier League games over the weekend. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, the live tour, June and July. Uh, Barry, are you ready for some announcements? Oh, yeah, of course I am. Okay. Not everybody is totally confirmed, but here are some confirmed names. Leeds, 13th of June, Jonathan Wilson, John Bruin. There you are, Wilson. Some Bielsa chat for you in Leeds. In Birmingham, John Bruin, and we're trolling them, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. That'll get the Villa (laughs) fans. That'll get the Villa fans in. Uh, Manchester, uh, Lars Sividson, Filippo Clare, Mark Langdon and Lars Sividson doing the Dublin gigs. Uh, Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini in Hackney on the 8th of July. Uh, Ellis James, Barney Ronay, Sid Lowe on the 9th of July in Hackney. And Glasgow is Jonathan Wilson. Cheer again. And Philippe Eau Claire, uh, me and Barry. Uh, all of them go to myticket.co.uk. HJ says, is this the worst Premier League in years? Feels like the bottom five has the fewest points ever recorded. The standard of football is abysmal. Brian says, is this the best Premier League season ever? Title, relegation, European places still to be decided in the last week of the season. Let's start at the London Stadium. West Ham 2, Manchester City 2. You were there, Wilson. Um, You seemed more concerned with the press box situation, which is, of course, what the listeners care about. Well, I mean, on that subject at Wembley, absolutely. Another shambles. The the, the thing that Pete Tong did beforehand, he had these like big orange fluorescent tubes 
which blocked my view of the penalty shootouts. And again, you know, I think VFA or Wembley, they've got to work out, is this a football match or is it just some crap? What was Pete Tong doing there? Playing his records, I don't know. <laughs> what, uh, he, may well have, he, he may well have, yeah, he may well have <laughs> been sat a couple of rows in front of me. I wouldn't know what the man looks like. I just saw his name on the programme. And then the, 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 the technicians for that were like wandering about all game, just getting in the way. You know, it's, if you're going to have all this other stuff, make sure it doesn't get in the way of the football. Um, and then, yeah, Mark Noble, you know, the uh, Canningtown Town as we were told on a, about 100 occasions yesterday, Custom House Grit. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be too cynical about that because it is the, the affection that West Ham fans have for him is, is lovely. And, and you, you were very cynical on the WhatsApp group. Well, uh, I, I was, why yeah. hold back here? I was I wasn't cynical. I was angry. I'll tell you why I was angry. It's because the press facilities at West Ham, which normally are excellent, having been pretty terrible at Upton Park, um, but they made you know they're very very good at the uh, London Stadium. We got shifted out of that into some tiny box room because Mark Noble needed the other room to have a party. Well, he did have the Prince of Monaco there, didn't he? So, you know, you've got to have a big room for the yeah. Prince of Monaco. Well, Albert II, Prince of Monaco, um, weirdly a mate of Mark Noble's, don't quite understand how that's happened. Apparently they met through Dimitri Payet. He's, he's competed in five Olympics in the bobsleigh for Monaco. Oh. And his Wikipedia page has a lengthy section on people who've claimed to be his illegitimate children. So he's had at least four children with at least two women, but possibly as many as eight with six. Uh, which is how royalty should behave, in fairness. <laughs> So anyway, Jared Bowen, Barry, um, he had a good game. Yes, he's quite the player, isn't he? He's had quite a good season. Just actually going back briefly to Mark Noble, I didn't realise he was from Canning Town. I was in Canning Town yesterday briefly, uh, catching a DLR, Docklands Light Railway. And uh, so that that was my personal homage (laughs) to Mark Noble on his special day. I was on my way home from a wedding. Yeah, Jared Bowen has had a brilliant season. Will he get a World Cup winner's medal in Qatar, Barry? That's the question. I sincerely hope not, Max. But <laughs> whether or not he'll be in contention to, to get one by dint of being in the England squad, it's hard to say. I, you, you would have to say he deserves a call-up, but whether or not he'll get one is another matter altogether because Gareth Southgate is quite loyal to players who are already in his squad. He's not shy about handing out caps either. But I I would say everyone being well and, you know, injury-free, I think Bowen would, would probably miss out whether or not he should. I don't know. Wilson, can you explain um, for those who aren't as tactically astute as you the benefits of playing such a high line that City do that meant that Bowen got through pretty easily? Well, yeah, it's... Um, if you play with, play with a high line, you win the ball back out of the pitch. So... You know those turnovers are in a more in more dangerous areas. The more the more compact the team, the less running you have to do, the, the less distance the passes have to cover. So I mean, that's been sort of tactical orthodoxy really for for fifty years. Uh, but it is a risk because you leave space in behind you, which requires two things: a, it requires your keeper to be competent coming out and swinging up behind, which Edison generally is. Like he had a couple of shaky moments yesterday, uh, but it also needs the pressing to be right. And Cities in the first half yesterday wasn't; they they were really off it. Uh, and it was, it was notable they put that right at half time but the first half again and again Antonio and Bowen got in behind them it did happen a couple of times in the second half you know, Fernandinho really yeah, looks like he's he's past he's, he's too old uh, which is a shame because he's a yeah, I think he was a great player in his day but this maybe has been one season too many 
It's a regular failing of City. When it, when it does go wrong, that tends to be how it goes wrong. The, the opponents can exploit that space behind them. So you think of repeated Champions League games, you have a game against Lyon particularly, and you, you think as well, you know, that game when they lost 3-2 at home to Manchester United and there was three goals in like, 20 minutes in the second half. You think of when Frank Lampard's Chelsea beat them 3-2 to give Liverpool the title um, two seasons ago. So, it, you know, it, it's... It, it, it's one of those things, I don't want to say, it's not a flaw, because that suggests it's it's a problem that, you have, that needs to be put right. Well, that, that's not the case. It's it's This is the way they play and there are many benefits to it, but it does mean that when things go wrong, that is the way in which it goes wrong. Bowen reminds me of kind of a, a, another version, like a revamped model of Craig Bellamy. You know, like just all that energy and kind of very physically strong for someone who doesn't appear that big. Um, and then Antonio, when like the, obviously West Ham aren't going to have as much of the ball, but when they did play the ball up to him, he would somehow get it and turn away. And then there'd be like a Benny Hill style chase with like three three kind of city defenders trying to run after him and almost like holding on to him as he's running. So like I, I, I can understand why he has fitness problems because he's kind of he's running with players on his back at times. Um, but as, yeah, as a Liverpool fan watching that yesterday, the um, <laughs> oh God, I just yeah, I, I almost felt like after two minutes, it might have been nicer if City would have just kind of scored and just sucked the life out of the game and all hope, <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> um, and then for West Ham to go two up, and then for yeah for the game to go as it did, City coming back and that penalty, it was yeah, it made for it, it made for a quite traumatic, um, but ultimately slightly hopeful Sunday. Alex says, are you, Barry, and everyone else ready for a week of endless narrative chat? If Liverpool beat Southampton, City to need to beat Gerrard and Coutinho to win the title, I can't bear it and I'm a red. Can you bear it, Greg? Uh, I can bear it because it means there's still something in it. But I do think this Southampton game, but everybody's getting ahead of themselves. People were saying yesterday, oh, it's going to go to the last, it's definitely going to the last day. It's not though. So Liverpool need to they need to get something at, at Southampton. They need to beat them, and, and the team they're going to put out is going to be quite interesting because, you know, they were, the players were stumbling around at the end, like they'd just been at war or something. The way they were so knackered. So I, yeah, I I think get a result at Saturday, then start talking about the narratives. Um, yeah, and I'm sure it'd be a delicious bit of narrative if Stephen Gerrard managed uh, um, Villa to uh, a victory against. City and maybe a City player slips on his ass. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think in a strange way, the fact that goal difference has been taken out of the equation, I mean, not quite, because I guess City could lose next week, Liverpool beat Southampton and draw against Wolves. But realistically, goal difference has been taken out of the equation. So there's no risk of Liverpool doing what they did against Crystal Palace under you know, the game after the slip game, uh, when they're you know, 3 0 up and think, oh, we've got to chase goals, we've got to try and make up this goal difference. The, the job on Tuesday is really clear just, just win. If Liverpool win by seven goals, then their goal difference is identical, but they don't have the same number of points, so that does take that out of the yeah, but a, che- right. a team like Southampton is <laughs> never going to ship seven goals. Yeah, right? you're right. Um, uh, just one more question on Mark Noble from from here to watch that says, um, do footballers actually like Pep's face grab and 40 seconds of sweet nothings being spat into their ear? Noble looked ready to leave after two seconds of that conversation. I was like, that is like, it's absolute peak that's class, isn't it? That's absolute peak social media filled with what a class act that is. Total class. Oh, just give it a rest. He's just saying, well done. The, the, the thing that was really, really striking about you know, all the clips I showed of Mark Noble from his debut onwards 
His hair has not changed a fraction. <laughs> no. And then his kid, who came yeah. on the song, who came <laughs> pitch, has exactly the same hair. And even his daughter kind of has the female version of that hair. So like the same, but just a bit longer. Very strong, noble genes in there. I, 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 um, he did fantasy football uh, when I, uh, during the glory years of that TV show, but not the good fantasy football. <laughs> I mean, I'll be clear about that. And he was like, he was just a very, he's a very nice bloke. His speech was very good. I, I mean, I don't know how much he, I guess he had to be prepared it, but I, I've sort of, I've, I've been, I have been a bit sniffy about it and the, the sort of the over sentimental tone I, I found, <laughs> to be honest, funny. But yeah, he does seem like a very good bloke and he has been a great servant at West Ham and it is lovely that players and clubs and fans can still have that kind of relationship. Jonathan Wilson does have a heart. It just takes a while to find it. Uh, let's go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs beating Burnley 1-0. Uh, Joe says, will Spurs' penalties eventually become so soft that they start to lose their structural integrity, slowly breaking down into an unintelligible football sludge? Uh, JJ says, what will it take to rethink penalty kicks? The punishment rarely fits the crime. Penalties are so often ruin the spectacle of a good game of football. Sincerely a grateful but dismayed Spurs fan. And the thing is, Barry, that is just... Maybe it is a penalty, but it absolutely shouldn't be. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it is a penalty. That that is the important thing to know. But it shouldn't be, as Wilson has often pointed out in the past, the handball law was brought in to stop players from picking it up and running with it and inventing new sports called rugby or whatever, or from punching the ball. And, you know, So I think if it's an accidental handball and it doesn't really affect have any effect on the game, then it shouldn't be a penalty. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is. And that's very unfortunate for Ashley Burns. It's very unfortunate for Burnley. The punishment is undeniably too harsh for the crime, such as it is a crime. Uh, But I think it's important to remember that if Burnley do end up going down, it won't be because they lost 1-0 away at Spurs yesterday. It it will Mm. be the combination of results that weren't good enough and they will be among the worst three of several very, very bad teams in the Premier League. Uh, but they're not very, very bad. I don't understand why, where this has got taken hold from. The teams at the bottom are, I mean, OK, Norwich and Watford aren't, but everybody above Watford is pretty good. Like they've, they'd all have been coming to be mid-table you know, 10 years ago or earlier. It, 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 this isn't... This is not a. The, the league has, has got steadily more stretched out because of the financial distribution. But the teams who are going to finish 16, 17 are pretty good teams. Well, I suppose comparatively bad then. Like, we, we're talking about a league in which Manchester United, who we've pilloried on a regular basis on this pod this season, are what, six, seventh? You know, so if they're the seventh best team in this league, then the, the teams below them must be. Pretty poor. Sure. I mean, I guess you judge you judge on different criteria, don't you? Like, it's not sort of a, a one-size-fits-all judgment of how good football teams are. I mean, Evan could players. go down with the best player in the world in the team. That is true. <laughs> we'll get on to right. his, his slightly He's suspended mistimed now. <laughs> <laughs> I did like this message from Ed, said, Max, I saw your tweet about innocuous handballs. What do you think the panel should be the punishment? I heard Bob Mortimer say instead of yellow cards, players should have to carry a shovel for the rest of the game. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I do like the idea of punishments fitting the crime or just, yeah, you have to be one man banned for the rest of the game, Solomon. <laughs> you're not sent off, but you're... <laughs> uh, or, or, did, 
Did they have to strap that hand, whichever hand it is, gets strapped to the side for the rest of the game? And then they've got to play. Like Pele in Escape to Victory. Well, Rondon this season has already been playing like he has a symbol <laughs> attached to his knee and a big drum on his back. <laughs> and, a, and a harmonica. Um, anyway, look, we'll, we'll talk about unnatural positions. It's, it's a phrase that really annoys me because if you are Ashley Barnes and you're having a tussle with Davinson Sanchez, who's quite a large man, and you're moving around, your arm might go that way. It's not unnatural. It's connected to your body. Like, wherever your arm is, it's <laughs> none of them are unnatural or natural positions. They're just your arms. They're part of you. Anyway. I, I feel like he was trying to get away from the ball, and your arms do go up yeah. and you throw yourself yeah. backwards. So, yeah, that it needs a rewrite. It does. So, look, Spurs go to Norwich on the last day. Arsenal go to Newcastle tonight. So, we'll cover that on the pod tomorrow. Who Linton says... Are you supporting the most evil club and fans on all the planet on Monday, Max? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, I'm like, what does that mean? Anyway, so Burnley lost. Leeds drew with that uh, last-minute equaliser from Pascal Stroik. John says, can Barry cuddle me like a baby, feed me Guinness through a bottle and tell me Leeds will be okay? I, I could do all of that apart from tell him Leeds will be okay. If he comes to the live show in Leeds, can you do the other two things? Or cuddle him like a baby and feed him Guinness through a bottle. Yeah, yeah I could do buy, that. Well, so he, might, he might buy a ticket. I mean, weird things happen at our Leeds gigs. I, I once received a proposal of marriage from a woman in the audience. Yeah, whose husband was also uh, in the audience at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such is the magnetism. I he, he took her quite <laughs> well. Did, yeah. Um, anyway, back to, back to can you guarantee, can you help? Can you help, John? No, I can't. Um I mean, that goal could be absolutely priceless uh, for Leeds. And what a bit of skill by oh. Joe Gerhardt to, to set it up. But I, I had to watch it, slow it down, watch it over and over again to see how exactly he managed to, to get the cross in. If, if I was Joe Gerhardt and Pascal Strike had missed that opportunity, I would have been absolutely furious because I, I, I'm putting that up there with Ethan Pinnock as possible goal of the season contender. I'm telling you now. But um, yeah, I've been hugely impressed with Gellhart this season, um, and uh, it's it's been a great breakthrough season for him, whether Leeds stay up or go down. But no, I, I can't guarantee anyone from Leeds that their club will stay up. Could Leeds not have used Gellhart more though? I, I feel like he's. I think he's they probably been, could. Yeah, he's got that kind of swagger and cockiness, a bit like Anthony Gordon has at Everton, and they've used that to kind of drive drive the team in in the relegation battle. Maybe Leeds. Might wish they'd have done that sooner. Wilson, what have you made of Jesse Marsh's tenure? I mean, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure you could realistically ask for much more. They, you know, they, they had that run of uh, 11 points in five games and then they suddenly had a run of, of two or three tough games in a row. And, and you know, the game against City when they lost 4-0, they actually played pretty well in that game. They, they've struggled with injuries all season. Now, I, I think there's a you know, people who know more about physiology than me need to, to kind of ask whether that is to do with the, the, the level of training. And certainly Marsh has suggested that, that the players were overtrained, that the cumulative effect of years of Bielsa broke a lot of players. I, I, I mean, I'm not qualified at all to, to know whether that's true, but I think it's definitely a question worth asking. He, he took over in a difficult position. He's done fine. Has he done better than Bielsa would have done? I don't know, maybe. Um, but I don't think you could really ask for much more than him, from him. Of all the teams at the bottom, like would the points tally have been that different had they not changed managers? I feel like it's been 
there's not been that much of a change. I mean, Everton have been very chaotic since, obviously, since Lampard's come in. But I, I, I don't, I, yeah, and they've had some good home performances where they've they've won games. But I feel like the crowd coming in on the back of it has helped and maybe had Rafa been there the crowd might not have been as helpful as they've been it might have been better organised at the back though or organised at the well, back yeah, yeah I just wonder if the points tally wouldn't be that different yeah let's talk about that Everton game then uh, losing 3-2 at home to, to Brentford Frank Lampard said his side have been on the wrong end of a lot of bad decisions this season I mean I don't know if that is true but I did feel that they were unlucky with the decisions in this game that shirt pull just before the sending off sort of makes it feel much worse. You know, uh, Wilson, six of one, I've done the other one, was it? I just sort of think, if a penalty is awarded for that, Brentford are saying, well, hang on, they, they both sort of had a bit of a grapple with the other. My, 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 my suspicion is that Richarlison commits a foul, is then fouled, and that those two things shouldn't bounce each other out. Uh, and then the ball's cleared and the, the red card offence happens. So I, I, I guess... If you, you know, interpreting it really strictly, you go back and you you give Brentford a free kick, but I, I just sort of think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of grey areas in referee, and he's got to get on with it. And and if, if Brantwaite hadn't chopped him down, it just wouldn't be an issue. So yeah. don't 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 do that bit, and then nothing else matters. Um, I mean, I thought maybe Greg Beck could have been sent off for the for the pullback for the penalty. I mean I loved his performance. Yeah. He looked like somebody who was just helping out for me. Like <laughs> he yeah, he, he he definitely threw his hand out and, and got a got a load of the shirts and that is a booking and it's a booking anywhere on the field, not just, you know, it's just a cynical it's a cynical tug, isn't it? Um yeah, and he, he if he'd have been sent off, maybe it would have changed the, the balance of the game slightly more. Uh, until Rondon did his thing. Yeah, Will says, for Wilson, is Solomon Rondon the best player in the world at diving violently into a needless challenge <laughs> and sent off within minutes of coming on? I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I was, I've was. i always been a massive fan of Fernandinho. I think this is a season too, too far for him. I think for Rondon, that, that is probably also true. <laughs> Rondon in his day as a lone front runner was magnificent. And that was true for Venezuela. It was true for Newcastle. Um, and I loved watching him. Yeah, he was somebody who could conjure a throw in from nowhere. And that, that's a <laughs> no, 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 that, that's a that's that's a valuable skill. If you're playing fifty yards, many of your opponents to hold it up, get a free kick, or get a throw in, or, or even a corner sometimes, brilliant. And, and I think that's an underrated part of the game. And I think he was magnificent at that. And that, that was where the the bit that was unfortunately clipped out, where I said at that comma, <laughs> he is the best player in the world. That's where that came from. <laughs> This season, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that he's the best player in the world. <laughs> he he doesn't look at all fit. And and that was a terrible foul that he fully deserves a red card for. It and was terrible. I, I, I think he probably should retire. By the way, Max, you, you speak of Mads Beck looking like he was just helping out. He was just <laughs> helping out because he was in for the best player in the world, Ethan Pinnock, <laughs> who was injured. <laughs> yeah, he really did. It really did look like they just rung up a mate because he that late tackle he did where two Brentford players didn't sort of dallied and then he just went out oh, fucking absolutely booted Anthony Gordon like just like Sunday League it was very funny. Should we should we give um, Brentford a bit of praise though yeah, for their on. performance because they you know they they walked into what was a very very intimidating atmosphere they've not got an awful lot to play for themselves now and performed you know really really well and I thought. Um, I thought they made some um, good tactical 
changes which helped uh, turn the game. Um, and they, I think they, they, you know, they're going to finish mid-table in this season. A lot of people wrote them off. Um, very savvy signing of Ericsson, which I think was probably... They were able to get Ericsson because the club is run so well. Um, and I, I do think it was, it's an interesting contrast looking at Everton and looking at Brentford. You've got a club with very little that is run really, really well. And you've got a club... <laughs> that has had an awful lot of money that has just not had things set up in the right way and and is chaotic and it now is left with like Rondon diving into tackles and John Joe Kenny coming off the bench and it's just a mess and um, it just doesn't reflect well on Everton as a club. I thought Brentford, Brentford, Brentford highlighted that. Yeah. yeah, it's still in their hands though if they beat Palace. Well, they need one win from the last two games. Palace at home on Thursday, Arsenal away on Sunday. Um, at Burnley away at Villa on Thursday, home to Newcastle on Sunday. Leeds have one game left away at Brentford. Need to mention after the game, both Ivan Tony, Rico Henry tweeted about racist abuse that their family had experienced at Goodison. Uh, Everton tweeted in response, there's no place in football or society for racism. We're assisting Merseyside Police to ensure the individual is identified and dealt with appropriately. It never ends, does it? Um, uh, that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll round up the rest of the Premier League, do the playoffs, any other business in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, let's not spend any time on Leicester's 5-1 win at Watford, apart from the defending was utterly hilarious. And Watford have lost 15 of their 19 home games and conceded 46 goals, the most at home by any side in a single campaign in the Premier League history, uh, the most by any top flight side since 1960-61, when Newcastle let in 49 and Chelsea 48. Producer Joel did some maths. The cheapest season ticket available this year cost £438 for an adult. So £109.50 for every game that Watford didn't lose. Wolves won, Norwich won, Villa won, Palace won, etc. Um, the playoffs in the championship, Baz, Luton won, Huddersfield won. This was a, was a sort of barnstorming atmosphere at Kenilworth Road, wasn't it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Kenilworth Road is very hostile ground and... Luton were probably the better team in this game. They certainly were in the first half. Uh, but Huddersfield scored against the run of play. Daniel Sinani goal on the break. Well, good finish. Um, Luton goalkeeper Matt Ingram probably could have done better. Huddersfield also should have had a penalty after seven seconds of yes. right from the kickoff. <laughs> uh, Harry Toffolo barred, was barged over by, by James Bree. Uh, but the ref didn't give it. It was a, it was a clear penalty. I I don't know if it was because it was inside the first minute. It's too early to give a penalty, but it, it should have been a penalty. Luton also were denied a clear penalty in the game. And uh, Sonny Bradley, their captain, centre-half, he, he had a lovely volleyed finish from a Cal Naismith free kick. That made it 1-1. The, the Luton penalty that wasn't given was our, our old friend Cameron Jerome is is a at Luton, alongside Robert Snodgrass, who was on the bench. He was brought down, should have got a pen, wasn't given. So it's very nicely poised ahead of tonight, Monday night's uh, second leg. And, I mean, just, we, we spoke on Thursday, the achievement of Luton getting to this stage is just remarkable. They have the second lowest budget in the Championship. Huddersfield are sort of mid-table budget-wise in the Championship. And when you consider how much money some Championship sides are spending to be not as good or successful as these two this season it, it's hats off to them 
Uh, worth a mention for the other game, Nottingham Forest were two up against Sheffield United. I think they'll be pretty disappointed because they were they were by far the better side for large parts of this game. We've talked a bit about Brennan Johnson and Jed Spence, Sam Surridge as well. They've got a very good side. Jack Colbeck getting their first, Brennan Johnson getting the second, but a last minute header from Sanderberg means the tie is still alive. Uh, Wilson, you have to go and do the Europa League final, don't you? Yeah, but so if, if it is a Forest, if it is a Forest Luton final, it'll be a repeat of a 1959 FA Cup final. Can you give me two bits of trivia about that game? Something something didn't happen at that game that's happened at every other final since I think 1927, but certainly since the late 20s. And uh, a famous man's uncle got mm. injured. Is I, it I, is it uh, Ed Sheeran's uncle? Bigger than Ed Sheeran, I think. I don't know. Oh, is that Elton oh. John's uncle? Elton John's uncle, Ron Dwight. Yes. Oh, so my guess wasn't wasn't a terrible guess, was it? Um, and something that didn't happen. There were no throw-ins. There were not one. <laughs> relevant to Saturday, actually. Relevant to this. You know, we've talked about it. There was no national anthem. Abide with me wasn't played. The only time since it was first introduced in, I think it was twenty-seven, but certainly late twenties. Oh well, look, enjoy the Europa League, Wilson. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. Sorry to rush off, but no, that's uh, okay. The flight's not going to wait. No, it isn't. It's, uh, it's live action as it happens. I mean, look, Rory Smith once left just to take a phone call about a chandelier, and he hasn't been on the pod since. So look, there we go. <laughs> At least you've been polite. Let's uh, let's finish off then, saying look, um, well done to Stockport County. Um, so promote back to the Football League. Um, after a 2-0 win over Halifax. The playoffs are quite interesting in the National League, but we'll talk about it uh, another time. Uh, Gordon says, any chance you could mention the back-to-back promotions for Queen's Park? Amateur until 2019. They've gone from League 2 to the Championship for the first time since the Scottish League reorganisation of 1975. Uh, well done to you. Sam says, what's Barry's take on the Larn FC goal against Glen Torren at the Oval? A 70-plus yard shot ensured European football for perhaps the least inspiring town in Northern Ireland. Do you have any thoughts, Barry? I haven't seen the goal. I wasn't aware of the goal. This is the first I've heard of it, but it sounds good. I shall look it up after we're finished. I've never been in Larne uh, and know nothing, little or nothing about it, apart from that there's a ferry that leaves there and ends up in Stranraer. So, uh, well, well done, Larne. <laughs> well done, Larne. Uh, Adam says, which Premier League manager, past or present, do you think would perform best in Eurovision? I, I was thinking perhaps Manuel Pellegrini could do a kind of brat pack. Tom, Thomas Frank, surely. So, Tom, Thomas Frank's Thomas got, Frank he's got the hair for it. That. And he always goes around whipping yeah, the crowd true. up and singing, doesn't he? he? He'd love it. And I reckon he'd wear some outrageous outfits as well. Yeah, sort of Europop for yeah. Thomas Frank. I thought maybe Ian Holloway might do like a quirky Icelandic effort or... Sean Dice would do Nordic rock. Uh, I can imagine Big Sam give him give him a give him a pint of wine. He'd sing anything, <laughs> wouldn't he? <laughs> and finally, Shaleen says, "Did Barry enjoy the wedding?" I enjoyed it a bit too much. I was in an awful state yesterday, and I was on my way home, walking down Stockwell Road from the tube station, feeling very, very sorry for myself, suit bag in hand, and uh, I was crossing the street three young young men coming the other way and they went Barry Barry and they were very excited to see me because they recognized me from as uh, being from Football Weekly uh, and I would like to apologize to them I I, I posed for a photo and, and tried to be nice but they very much make, met a poor shadow of me <laughs> and I wasn't the best man I I could have been I like to think though that you know I, I'm sad you weren't in your suit but I I, I like to think 
they were you were exactly what they wanted to to meet. You were the Barry they wanted to meet. Is my well, guess. I, I was incredibly hungover. I was wearing <laughs> a large uh, a, a Daffy Duck t shirt and a pair of jeans. Yeah, and and sort of ashen faced with sweat pouring down my forehead. So yeah, it's probably the me they would like to have met, but it's not the me I wanted to be at that particular time. <laughs> Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks, Greg. Yeah, cheers, Max. Cheers, buddy. Um, hopefully, come back on again. It's been too long, Greg. Is, it, uh, it has. I will. I will endeavour to make myself more available, Max. Yeah, it's worth saying. It's not us. It's you, isn't it? it, it, it is. saying, come on, and Greg says, yeah. I can't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Barry has nothing better to do, so he'll be here tomorrow. Cheers, Baz. Uh, thank you, Max. And uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.